Hey, hi! Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, I'm a programmer at TIFF now, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Gigi Saul Guerrero, a filmmaker who made her feature debut last year with Blumhouse's Bingo Hell. Before that, she helmed segments of Mexico Barbaro and the ABCs of Death 2.5, and episodes of Choose Your Victim, La Quinceañera, and The Purge, and wrote and directed Culture Shock episode of Hulu's horror anthology Into the Dark that's streaming in Canada right now on Hollywood Suite. Gigi picked The Exorcist, William Friedkin's blockbuster 1973 adaptation of William Peter Blatty's best-selling novel about a demonic incursion in contemporary Washington, where something that claims to be the devil possesses a sweet little girl named Regan McNeil, forcing her mother Chris to enlist the help of two Catholic priests to save her body and her soul. Linda Blair plays Regan, Ellen Burstyn is Chris, Jason Miller and Max von Sydow are the priests. And if you've seen The Exorcist, You've never forgotten any of them. This is someone else's movie. You know, I think The Exorcist was the first time I truly rebelled against my my mom, not even my parents, because my dad's always like, oh, ask your mother. <laughs> you know, always, always covers his, his butt with everything. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, for those who don't know me listening, like I'm I'm from Mexico, Mexico City. So we know, you know, as Mexicans, as Latin Americans, we are very superstitious, very spiritual people. We believe in everything you can imagine, you know, and uh, so I grew up in a very Catholic house, super Catholic, a little bit strict. So I was just never allowed to watch anything horror, nothing, 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 nothing at all. So so really my my curiosity was was the devil. You know, my curiosity was what was taking over. And, you know, there was always something very strange with things my mom would do. Like I would find holy water under our beds. I would uh, there was crosses of Jesus and Virgin Mary all over the house, candles, shrines. Um, So there was always something very interesting to me, like the why, the why, the why. And my mom, she'd always freak out with certain things. Like she, she'd always be super superstitious. Like you, you would put your purse on the ground and she'd be like, no, Mika, the devil's going to take your money, pick it up. Things like that, that. But she genuinely would be scared. And I could tell. And, uh, and my sister and I, we would just make fun of her all the time for it. <clears throat> But she would always mention The Exorcist. She okay. would always mention how when she was about 16, she saw this film with Linda Blair. She wouldn't even name it The Exorcist. She would just say this movie with Linda Blair. That's all she would say. <laughs> and she'd always would tell us movies like that one will not let you sleep, will not let you eat. My life was ruined for years. Like she was so passionate about how this movie ruined her <laughs> and wow. how she had to pray and go to church. And, but I mean, when you think about it, that movie broke a lot of borders. Like, I don't think anybody back then had seen anything like that. And also, I mean, rumor has it, you know, a lot of conspiracy theories of like very weird things happen on that set. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of it was, you know, sort of stoked by the publicists themselves at the time, uh, yes. you know, that so it spread even further. 
but yeah, the, the, the idea of something, you know, like pointing a camera at a taboo subject and then welcoming it into the world, I guess is was, exactly was the sell, right? I couldn't agree more. Like now, now, you know, once I was in film school and really started to dive deep in the world of filmmaking, Exorcist was one of the first films I wanted to be like, oh, I got to watch all the behind the scenes. Because, you know, by, by that age, I I, did, I do believe in a lot of things. <laughs> so I couldn't agree more with you that if you talk about, you know, some of the unknown and the supernatural, you are in a way making yourself and the space you're in vulnerable to something. Yeah, I it, don't have the answers of what that is, <laughs> but... But I, on that said, I believe a lot of it. I, I really believe a lot of it. There's incredible footage in the film that was not cut out. That was real. Like when the mom gets slapped bah, across the face and it cuts to her falling and she hits her head. That all is real. Uh, her fall was not supposed to happen. Yeah. Burston wrecked her back on it. It was, um, I mean, yeah. real. there was real physical uh the stunts were far more or far less protected, I guess. That's what Pretty I'm trying much. to like. The, people got hurt. People yeah. um, talked about creepy cold rooms and all of that things. Uh, uh, Jordan Deveris and I were talking just the other week about Suspiria and how the whole thing is based around the idea of um, the, 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 the feeling that if you, if you, na- if you speak the devil's name or, or, or you show mm-hmm. supernatural machinery, you're somehow encouraging it. Um, Exactly. In the real world, right? Like, like yes. it's not that depiction and endorsement are the same thing, but it's more about invoking a presence or, or inviting something in, which, um, which I think is, it's it's almost charming, because it implies that you're able to stop evil in the first place. That like mm-hmm. if you're if you're faithful enough or you're devout enough, then that will keep the devil away. Where, you know, living in the world just teaches you that chaos is everywhere and that bad things happen to good people all the time. And there's always an excuse. There's always a way to explain it. Right. But the exorcist is also about that. It's about, um, evil invading a, a a single mother's home, like pushing its way into this quiet, well appointed world, like a suburb of Washington where everybody has money and everybody's successful and everything is fine. And all of a sudden this, this little girl starts to act out. And Stephen King in, in his book, Dance Macabre wrote beautifully about, the idea that it's um, it's like a, a conservative response to the permissiveness of the 60s, where William Peter Blatty's book found a way to sort of articulate all of that about how now all of a sudden we can't control our children anymore. It must be the devil. And Friedkin decided to make it as if it was a documentary, which I think is the genius of it, right? Like it, yes. it feels verite. It's like you are trapped in there with these people. Mm-hmm. And that's like the, I keep saying this this month, but this is my favorite kind of horror where it's completely realistic impossibility. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it even shows, you know, the past flashbacks of maybe where this, this started. And to me, it shows that you can welcome, not even just the devil, but you can welcome bad energy mm-hmm. if you're looking for it and it will come. And it will show in whatever shape, size, ever. It's it's something that I think us consciously sometimes don't realize. Mm. Even just when we're in a, a simple as, 
when we're in a bad mood. Nothing gets better. You know, as well as when we're always so negative, things don't get better. And, right. and in this case, physically welcoming so much dark uh, instead of light into, the, into your lives. I, there's, there's so many metaphors in this film, too, that it, it took me a very long time because I've seen it a lot. And, and for a long time, I, I did think very much with this breakdown you gave of how children act out, we right away lean into faith. Maybe that is the, the, the cure to a lot of this. But the more I, I, I watched the film and just recently I, I, I was in a documentary for Shudder, a, a horror documentary. And I had to talk about The Exorcist. And so I rewatched it for fun. And a new perspective that just popped in my head that I, I guess, because I was looking for, hmm, mm -hmm. is there more to this movie? Was in the very specific scene when the mom um, had a lot of the doctors over uh, at her house after they've tried all the machines, all the things on her to see what is wrong with her brain, what is wrong with her. And there's those psychologists and all those doctors at their house and they're asking Regan questions. And it was at that moment where, where the doctor asks her, is there someone inside you? And she says, sometimes. Mm -hmm. And the way that she said that, I, I right away, I, I gasped. I went, <gasps> I said, this movie is, is also about taking advantage of a woman's body. I, I never saw it like that. I, I said, just taking the choice to a woman's body, to a child's body. And I remember so clearly hearing her vulnerable, innocent voice of this young teen, this kid saying, sometimes I was like, oh, it just gave me the creeps. I, I'd never seen the film in that perspective. And I really admire that, you know, for such a long time, I think horror has been showing us such dark and real subject matter themes that sometimes we're afraid of talking about. Um, I never thought The Exorcist did that. I, I never really saw it that way until I rewatched it for the 20th time yeah. <laughs> that this is, uh, it's not just the, you know, the literal devil, but the devil can be as well luring in, um, in choices that get taken away from us. So as a woman, we fear that every day of our lives. I mean, even just saying the word rape scares me. You know, I don't like saying it. Sure. And I, just that's... watching that scene, it opened a whole can of worms, my friend. That I was like, what? Yeah, it's just, it's no way. And, like it, and then I just kept watching it like that for the rest of the hour and a half left. And, it, and I saw it in a, just completely different. Yeah, from what it, you just spoke about. It yeah. plays out though. This theory does like I'm thinking of all the so much of it, and simply because of the time in which it was made, right? It's all men yes. debating what to do yes. with Reagan and how to treat her. The priests are men, obviously. Exactly. Um, and the mom has no voice either in it. Yeah. Not once nobody wanted to hear 
Not once was she able to do how she wanted to do it, it, it to the point that she had to beg for help at the church. Yeah, um, I'm thinking about the scenes where uh, where Chris takes Reagan to to the the lab for the tests and like yes. that, the spinal tap sequence has always stood out to me as like the most excruciating thing in the film because it's it's real violence. It's it's you can see yeah. everything that's happening. You can see the pain. There's no question who's doing it. Like everyone in the theater can identify with that moment. But it's also that the doctor just isn't interested, right? Like it's so clinical and he's not talking to this to the kid or the mom and they're both in such pain. Totally. It's so it's totally. so weird and depersonalized. You know, like say what you will about the devil, at least he's taking an interest in this child. Um, and while it's never, there's no, like, there's no opportunity. That's a terrible way to, to frame it actually, because there's no opportunity to imply that Reagan is enjoying any of it. Um, mm. She is, she is being fought over. She has no say in it either. Um, I mean, yeah. she's just, she's such a innocent young child. I mean, it, it, I was like, Oh damn, we were sprinkled with this, um, with this perspective from the very beginning when uh, her mom's like, what are you doing when she's got the Ouija board? Oh, I'm just talking to someone. Okay. Who is it? Captain Audi. Girl, don't talk to strangers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's the same thing. Yeah. But Howdy Lindbergh, is a friendly Lindbergh word, right? Dead, like it's it's you know? a happy name. It sounds yeah. inviting. It sounds inviting. It sounds inviting. Exactly. And she's just a kid. So, of course, like it, all this just really lined up for me watching it like that. And and just this this family, you know, of a single mother. It's not easy. You look at movies like Baba Duke that are recent. Yeah. We we really do show flawed and weaker characters that are in the female body that are female portrayed female. And I, and I asked myself, I wonder when we will, we will show, you know, a different, a different perspective to that. When, when will our hero or our lead can actually be okay with being flawed, be okay with being weak, be okay with having some sort of mental health issue Mm -hmm. that they can still get through it and that they are the hero without having to find the help. And I, I have yet to see that, you know, like yeah. I still think Regan's mom had to find somebody to help her. I think in the Babadook, her kid had to be the one to help at the end. Sorry for those listening. <laughs> it's fine. If you haven't seen the Babadook by now, I mean, we can't help you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I don't feel too bad. But, <laughs> But I, 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 I really was having trouble pointing a film where somebody with truly, truly, truly tough situation um, can be able to figure things out um, and that it's okay. It's funny. I, I mean, I, I, I tried to do that and it's hard as a storyteller. That's really hard. And I mm-hmm. tried to do that with my feature debut, Culture Shock with the lead character because I felt like you have to be very um, you have to be in a very dark moment in your life to want to risk everything 
Um, and in this case, it's crossing the border. It's not, it's not, it's not a, a choice. You just wake up and want to do. And, um, well, and crossing the border while heavily pregnant. I think we have to, you heavily know, pregnant, for people who so, haven't seen that, that's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. Exactly. So I was really trying to, to put a lot of these thoughts of how I was seeing a lot of female characters in horror movies, how I can make her just figure things out on her own. And, and I, I, I kid you not, it was not, it was not easy. I almost had to layer problems on her right. <laughs> of how she got pregnant. That wasn't even on the script before. Um, I had to layer, you know, somebody try to talk her out of it twice uh, with the midwife in Mexico, trying to tell her, no, don't. So it, 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 it was a really interesting challenge to do that. Cause I was watching so many of these horror movies where I'm like, it's okay. They can do it on by themselves. Let's show that. Let's prove that. And I guess, you know, that's, it, it, it was eye opening how much more, I don't even know if the word research is the right word, but how much more we need to push ourselves as storytellers to, to tell authentic stories from, from a point of view that we don't see often. So that's my goal from now on too, to just really push boundaries with lead characters that as complex and as broken as they are to, to be able to, to fight their own demons, I guess. Cause yeah. I, I wonder what it would have been like if Regan's mom and the exorcist was able to not beg for the help. I wonder what it would have been like if it was just her fighting this, just her. Maybe it would have been really scary and life risking. But I, I, I'm curious. I like to ask myself these weird questions, um, yeah. even I mean, though I she, love these movies. Well, but. she says she describes herself as a lapsed Catholic. So there is definitely a story there, right? If the, yeah. someone who has to plunge back into their own history to figure out how to fix the problem in the present. Uh, yeah, maybe, you know, just sort of a uh, not a remake so much as a companion piece or, or a, a totally. A, totally. a new story. I, they sort of teased it in the in that short-lived television series um, where uh, Reagan ends up being part of the story as an adult. But yeah, it's that legacy time. thing that kind of works and kind of doesn't at the same time because you just feel it's forced. Uh, yeah, it's you know you can't. It's like the idea that you can't make an Amityville movie without the house, which is true. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. You need the house. You need the yeah. house. But that you can't make an Exorcist story without Reagan or Father. Karis or Father Mary, you can. I mean, that's the whole point. This stuff is cyclical and it's um, it's why, you know, Exorcist 2 ends up going back to Father Marin's original case in the 40s mm -hmm. because they they throw it away in a line of dialogue in the in the freaking film that, you know, not since have I had this sort of evil. And it's like, well, we got to show you that. I mean, that was totally. in the 70s where now it's just, it's knee jerk. It's how you make the next movie. Yeah. But yeah, I would love to see something like that that, that takes all the... Um, the authority and the and the and the structure away and just forces one person to save her kid on her own. Totally. Um, and I believe like Ellen Burstyn makes us believe that she could do it. Like oh I know Chris McNeil's an incredibly strong character. So good in it. Oh my goodness. Uh, I I mean <laughs> not to change the subject too 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 much, but I, I just I just thought about it. 
You know, if I was to make a, cause I haven't yet, cause I'm too scared. But if I was to make a, cause I'm very spiritual too. So I, I believe in everything, but um, I'll have to go like the James Wan route that he, he has priests on set blessing the set. Really? I don't think, yes, there's amazing behind the scenes footage that you see the, this priest blessing. Um, I think it was, um, like the conjuring like one films? of the conjuring films yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> and they're blessing the set blessing everyone on the crew everybody's praying i was like oh i need to make that part of my contract there, <laughs> needs, to, there needs to be a priest uh so I, I don't and i i haven't heard any spooky stuff that has happened on those movies but I don't think they had that in the exorcist. <laughs> no, the Catholic diocese wouldn't go anywhere near the film. They tried to have it banned. They tried to have it banned, all of it. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah. I need to back up, though, and ask you, when was the first time you saw the film? You you said you rebelled against your mom, but how old were you? Oh, I didn't tell you how I rebelled. That's yeah, right. please. Hey, it's Norm interrupting my own show to tell you about my new Shiny Things newsletter, a weekly dispatch about physical media, culture, and maybe even the odd streaming thing. This week, I wrote about Tom Cruise turning 60 and the new 4K release of Edge of Tomorrow, one of the few films that turns his super-capable screen persona on its head, and reviewed the marvelous Marcel the Shell with shoes on. Subscribe for the price of a latte at shiny-things.ghost.io or find a link at the Simcast Twitter account. I'm writing about movies again. Come check it out. So when I was eight, again, I was like, why am I not allowed to watch these things? And my favorite thing as a kid was to go to Blockbuster and walk the horror aisle. And I loved looking at all the cover photos of all the VHS oh, films. Yeah. And I love today making- don't know what they're missing. I know. <laughs> and it was like the coolest part because we rented movies all the time in Mexico. But I'd always kind of go towards the horror aisle because I would never rent those with my family. Mm -hmm. So I was always making up what the movies were about just by the cover. And the the cover that really caught my attention the most at the time was Child's Play 2 because Chucky had giant scissors cutting a little doll's head. And I was like, to me, that was like so morbid and dark. So I ended up stealing the VHS. I took it. <laughs> it was so bad. And I, I, I think I only watched, I only got through 20 minutes because I got too scared and I didn't understand fear. I didn't get it, but I kept smiling. I, of course, long story short, I got in a ton of trouble. I got grounded and I had to apologize to Blockbuster and I had to do all these things as a sure. kid. And, and, my mom was so mad, but, but that moment I didn't understand until the exorcist I saw, but I didn't understand how a movie could follow you, could stay with you, yeah. could get glued to you. And I was so convinced Chucky was in the closet. And I was like, whoa, the, the, the character in the movie is out of the TV. I didn't understand it. And I think it's because I was kept away so much from horror movies. Yeah. It's that invocation, right? The idea. Yeah. That- so, so then the exorcist 
came back out. It was remastered. New color direction. Oh, so this was the 2000 director's cut. Correct. Okay. So okay. It was like remastered, deleted scenes added. Uh, everyone go back to the theater and experience the exorcist. So that was my first uh-huh. horror movie in at the theater. And, and I rebelled and I did a whole kid tantrum, like you said, losing control. The devil got inside me. And, uh, and I, it was my birthday and I was like, mom, I'm turning a two digit number and you can't tell me what to do. And I'm going to choose what I want to do. And I want to see the exorcist and blah, 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 blah. And I just exploded. And so my mom tried the, the whole reverse psychology of like, okay, I'll take you. I was like, oh, oh, really? Oh yeah. I'll take you. And bring your cousin too. I was like, oh, oh, are you sure? And my mom's like, yeah, let's go. And I was like, okay. And my cousin and I, Norm, we were bad kids. My cousin (laughs) and I were those two of the same age that don't put us together because we will break something. Okay. So this was like a lesson. So she drops us off and I'm like, mama, aren't you coming inside? And she's like, no, I'll pick you up in two hours. I was like, ah! so I, I started to feel like, oh my God, my mom abandoned us. Like I started to really feel like, oh no. And so, yeah, my friend, we came out crying out of that theater, but I was crying happy. And my okay. cousin came out crying, like life was destroyed crying. And there was something about that experience of seeing a legit horror movie uh, that I realized only horror movies can follow you home. And then I soon realized as I got older, no, movies in general can follow you home. They can start conversations. They can start debates. They can start theories and breakdowns. And I mean, look what we're doing right now, right? Yeah. So it was that that day I got home. I, I was like, okay. Linda Blair's in the room with me. She's under the bed. And I use that every day as inspiration. How, what can I do when I tell a story to, to have the audience um, take it with them? And, and in this case, you know, with, with my feature debut, Culture Shock, it wasn't anything um, scary to that extent, but I, I felt so strongly as a Mexican and as an immigrant who moved to Canada to another place and and just watching from afar the border crisis happening live, Trump becoming president and all his choices, watching it live, everything from far away. I felt that culture shock was not a job or an opportunity of my first film. I, I really was like, this movie is a responsibility to talk about something and in this case was about all that. And, and I wanted so badly to people watch Culture Shock. And by the time it was over, to be able to talk about it for days later. And, and I'm so happy it did that. And oh boy, speaking of Twitter, that you brought this up at the start. I, I was, my goodness, attacked left, right, and center from, from them supporters being yeah. like, 
don't make movies again. You know, like you're not even American, like all these things like poof. I, I was like enjoying every second of it. Like it's working. It's working. They're talking about it. <laughs> and, and, and even for some immigrants, um, they were, it was just so amazing to see a movie depicted the true horror of what that is like. Um, and I think the best, the best screening I had of this film, because it did a lot of festivals was in Canada and Montreal um, at Fantasia. Right. Of course I, it was, it was probably the best screening ever for culture shock. Cause there was one immigrant, um, from Latin America and the audience sold out audience. And he just put his hand up, you know, during the Q and a thinking he had a question and, and he, he literally said, I, I don't have a question. I just, I just have a comment. And I, I just want to say thank you. Cause my, my parents immigrated here from, I can't remember where exactly, but from South America, I was born here. And my parents have always struggled so much to tell me how they made it happen. And it's been hard for me to ask them, how did you get here? How are we here? And he, he said, I just cannot wait to show this to my parents to show that, that they're not alone. And that, And that, you know, stripping away your, your identity is a, such a hard thing to be able to obtain. And my parents struggled for years to be able to obtain their, their true identity and where they're from. And I just want to say thank you for this movie. And I was like, ah, like I, was, I could barely take it that day. And he said that um, his mom's favorite song is the song I put at the end of the movie, which was a fight. Oh, my God. That was really? such a fight to get that song because it's also my grandma's favorite song. And, and it's just, it's been such a great experience with culture shock to just be able to give something that was so uh, from the heart and to just look at a, 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 at this project, like a responsibility rather than just a job. Right. So, yeah. I, I went totally derailed. No, 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 no. It's kind of connected in a way. <laughs> it's fine. And, and as a matter of fact, I was going to say that while we were, while you're talking about culture shock, I'm trying to figure out exactly how much I want to discuss. I don't want to spoil it for people no, listening, for sure. but in a really strange way, your film is about possession, but physical possession as opposed yes. to spiritual possession. Yes. Um, that was my first thought. And then I thought, well, the whole point of the second act is the war for these people's souls kind of literally with, through what's going on and what's happening literally. once people get to the States. Um, so yeah, that's such a strange place to end up the, like thematically. Did you want to, I was going to ask if you wanted to quote the exorcist in the course of the film, if there's a way in, like if it's something you drew on, but what I'm thinking of more about the way that you use Barbara Crampton, who is this yes. wonderful horror star having an amazing second act right now um, as sort of the personification of the American devil is the I only way I can explain very it. much. You totally got it. Okay. You totally got it. Um, and it, even if not the devil, definitely followers or devotees to, to that feed off evil, that feed mm -hmm. off dark, that feed off negativity. Um, 
Because I mean, the, the the constructor, the mind of it all was also Creed from The Office, who's so funny and yeah. made him the bad guy in this movie. He's never played a bad guy ever. Um, you know, that is like a, the true pedestal of what I was trying to do. Somebody, somebody way up in the hierarchy controlling all this. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wanted him to personify a, a specific someone <laughs> that was just taking full control of the U.S. not yeah. long ago. <laughs> he seems a little more put together, though. Like, I, 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 I can sort of see this guy actually executing a plan rather than just shouting words and, and wandering totally. off to shout different words. Uh, yeah, no, there's there's a great casual contempt that he has. Yes, and, and that was the casual self he is in the in the world of uh, of what he was making mm-hmm. in the virtual world that he was constructing. I wanted him to to really personify just God once he was in the machine. Same with who Sean Ashmore, his partner, he gets to be somebody else, somebody happy in the machine to be able to spread, you know, happiness and and do stuff together as a community. Little did he know these people are slaves to it. And yeah, yeah, Barbara Crampton, she she really was to me like I, I wanted just that artificial fake dream that we've been dreaming about this whole time. And that was that character that was super hard to to keep because the the original script was very big. It was like a big Pleasantville, Stepford Wives. It was tons of characters, tons of things happening in it. It was very different script, still the same concept. But there was something about Betty, the character of Betty, just always being there. And I was, it, we, you know, we were like, this is just the only one we need right now. Let's just keep Betty. And uh, casting Barbara Crampton was so last minute and so like uh, a a lucky thing because it was very close to shooting and we could just not find anybody to play Betty. Nobody, nobody had that. Oh, wow. And then I was like, oh, man, what do I do? So then Barbara Crampton popped in my head. I was like, wait a second. I just became friends with her. She's a little younger than what I was because I wanted the Betty Crocker thing. Okay. So she's a little younger and she's very hot. She's very pretty. I think this could work. And, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't live in LA. She's, she's not a local. We can't afford it. Ah, damn. But luckily that same 24 hours, this email comes in and, oh my God, God is good. This email comes in that says, here's a list of iconic horror actors, you know, uh, that uh, might be fun to give cameos to. And guess who was number two on the list? (laughs) Barbara Crampton. So I just kind of went, see you guys, bring her. And so if it wasn't for that email, I don't know what would have happened, but Barbara was so cool that she saw my past projects and she was like, I just want to be part of your movie. So I'll help. I'll I'll find my way. And she she flew herself to be in the movie too. And oh my goodness, it's just it's so cool when either an actor or crew or whoever just you read something that is you can tell that there's something in this project. 
And when people just want to be part of a project because they believe in it, yeah, I think that makes a massive difference in any project you're part of. If people, everybody in it believes in it, something special is really going to come for it. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, everybody really, uh, every day on that set, every day on that set, I think also because it was very um, current what we were talking about. Sure. You, you could feel this tension, but also this, enthusiasm from everybody, uh, the entire cast, the entire crew that we wanted to make this special. And also, I mean, we were nervous. We only had 16 days. So, so I think it was a mix of, oh my God, can we get this done? But everybody was so into this movie, especially the cast that, that it really, uh, it's still some of my most favorite memories of my life. That's great. I mean, yeah. You reverse exorcisted it, right? Like yes, you put something exactly. good into the world and they came for it. Definitely. Oh my gosh. Definitely. And listen, like speaking of, uh, you know, uh, bringing all these spooky things, I, I, the last thing I just shot, which I can't wait to share to the world, uh, we shot in Mexico in Catemaco, Veracruz. Okay. And that is the most dangerous scariest not because cartel i mean there is but it is the spookiest most haunted place the staple mark of witchcraft and satanism in mexico and this is catemaco is the place where all brujos and shamans are and that is the place where even um politicians go to get cleansed cartel members go to get cleansed people go pay big money to put hexes on others and they do the most terrifying pentagram like massive pentagram sized um rituals and sacrifices it is it is very scary there so of course where did i want to make the next thing there yeah it sounds like a great location it was amazing and you know i brought my my longtime partners from my true canadian non-spanish speaking partners best friends uh, Rainer Shima and Luke Bramley, who are the co-founders of Luchagor in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. They were so excited, so scared that while we were making this, this, this new project that I, I can't wait to soon announce it, but definitely stay tuned. <laughs> what we were making was so about all that, that sure enough, spooky things, just like in the exorcist, were definitely happening on the set. Things were moving. Things were, we kept hearing things. We were losing things. Uh, Equipment was going staticky. We built this terrifying shrine. I'll tell you a couple scary anecdotes uh, or memories that happened. So in one part of the movie, we we had to build a, a massive shrine. And I think our production designer did a too legit, too spot on of all these things that that room specifically felt there was no air. And we kept all the doors and windows open because we have a lot of candles. But the moment you walked in, it was like, like all air was sucked out. And she put these voodoo dolls that were hanging made out of wood. I'm sorry, branches. Okay. They just started spinning. Catemaco is hot. There's no air or breeze. And they were spinning. 
And at one point, you know, we were filming and the key grip, he didn't need, he didn't need to put lights inside because there were so many candles. So he just turned on the little flashlight in his cell phone and just shook his phone to kind of emulate candle lights. Mm -hmm. Super easy. And the end part of the story here is, so we're, we're filming. And then the two electrics, the, 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 the lamp ops, they come rushing into the set, scared out of their minds and pale, looking for the key, the, the key grip. Luis, Luis, are you okay? Are you okay? Just interrupted the shot. We heard you calling our name. Are you okay? And Luis and all of us were like, what's going on? Luis is like, yeah, I've been in here for the past 40 minutes filming. And then the two, the two um, electrics were like, what? That, what? What do you mean? What, what? And he's like, what do you guys mean? You just interrupted the shot. And I said, what's going on? And they went so pale. And you, you, you know, when you see fear in people's eyes, mm -hmm. okay. These guys that drew fear in their eyes and they were like, Luis, that was you outside calling, yelling for help. You were yelling for help. You were getting hurt. And Luis was like, that wasn't me. And, and so we had to stop the set. I said, God, well, we've got um, everybody five minute break. Go pray. <laughs> it was like all these things. I have stories for days on this shoot, but it was, uh, it's just interesting how we started this conversation like that. And it just, it just happened to me, but yeah. <laughs> so it's been 22 years. The exorcist finally caught up to you. A little bit. Luckily our film has a little bit of a happy ending in a way uh -huh. but when we were making very specific moments, uh, that were very spiritual to the culture and the faith in Mexico, I, I'm a big believer, Norm, that you can open up the door to something unexplained. Uh, I, I, I truly abide by it now. <laughs> so, well, I'm still going to see it. So, you know, if you're yes. trying to scare me off, it's not going to work. Perfect. You'll hear about it very soon. My thanks to Gigi Saul Guerrero, whose new film Culture Shock is streaming in Canada right now on Hollywood Suite. Thanks also to Laura Steen. She knows what she did. You can find Gigi on Twitter at Horror Guerrero, H-O-R-R-O-R-G-U-E-R-R-E-R-O, -R -R -E -R -R -E all one word. And you can find The Exorcist on Blu-ray and DVD from Warner Home Entertainment. It's also streaming on Crave in Canada and the Roku channel in the U.S. and available to rent or buy on most VOD platforms. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner, and you can find this podcast there at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. The first year of the podcast is still available for just 20 bucks at payhip.com slash semcast. That's the first 52 episodes of someone else's movie, 46 of which aren't currently available anywhere else. And check out my newsletter, Shiny Things, at shiny-things.ghost.io. I think you'll enjoy it. Our theme song is by the last year. If you like it or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review wherever you've been listening. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're doing that. Stay safe. Watch movies. Wear a mask if you go out, get your booster when you can. I'll see you next time.